today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Here we have it again. For all this, his anger is not turned away. In other words, his anger has not been satisfied. It has not been dissipated. It has not been dealt with. It has not been resolved. It has not turned away. He's still angry, in other words. But his hand is stretched out still. Do you ever wonder how God can be a God of justice, yet also be full of grace and blessing at the same time? It boggles the mind. But in today's teaching by Pastor J.D., we are once again reminded that God remains ready and willing to forgive, restore, and pour out lavish blessings on all of us because of Jesus. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 9 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Do you know why the Assyrians were invading Judah? They wanted to depose the king. Well, wait a minute. We have a problem. You can't. Even if you, you know, wanted to, you can't because, see, God made a covenant and gave David his word and promised David that the Savior of the world would come from his line. So if you're thinking you're going to go and invade Judah and depose the king, then, um, well, it's just not going to happen, because I made that promise. Now, why do I emphasize that? Because God's made us a promise, or 3,000. God's given us His Word. The Assyrians in your life, whatever that is, you fill in the blank that are coming against you, surrounding you. I mean, it looks like this is how it ends. Oh, by the way, same thing for Gideon too. Same thing for Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20, I think it is. Boy, I'm really pushing my memory envelope tonight. I think it's Second Chronicles chapter 20. Absolutely. In fact, Jehoshaphat, I, I love this about this king. He was a good king, one of only nine. I mean, he is looking at this situation, this invading army is coming, this alliance that have allied together to come and destroy them. And Jehoshaphat cries out to the Lord and says, God, this great horde is coming against us, and we don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Wait, did you, what did you just say? What did you just pray? Did you just say that you don't know what to do? And that your eyes are on me? That you're looking to me? Because your situation looks absolutely impossible. In fact, again, impossible is an understatement with what's coming against you. And you're looking to me? Oh, watch me now. And he says to Jehoshaphat, and all of Israel with their families, which is really important, their children are with them too. He said, I want you, this is what I'm going to do. You're not going to have to fight this battle. 
This is where we get that famous quote, the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm going to take care of this for you. Now sometimes <laughs> there are those battles. You think about Joshua, and you know after he succeeded Moses, many battles getting to the promised land. But this one is different. God says, this, this, I got this one. I got this one. <laughs> and boy did he. All they had to do was just behold the deliverance and the salvation and the victory of the Lord. And they just had to praise Him before He did it, by the way. Before He did it. They praised Him, they worshiped Him, they thanked Him in advance, and it was game on. And He destroyed this great horde, this army that came against Him. I don't know what it is in your life. I know I've had some Assyrian armies and some great hordes come against me over the years. And I have to confess, you know, I'm not this great man of faith like, you know, the battle belongs to the Lord. No, I'm in the fetal position crying like a baby. Well, crying like a man, but I'm just, God, what are we going to do? I got this. Watch me now. I'll take care of this one. Just give it to me. Look to me. Yeah, but God, uh, like Gideon, there's a hundred. Did you count how many of them there are? I think about King Hezekiah, 185,000 Assyrians. Did you count them, God? 132,000 Medeanites. And I've got 300 uncles? They have 132,000. I know. Watch me now. You might feel like, and it might seem like, you've got this Assyrian army, this Medeanite army coming against you, and it looks like this is how it's going to end. But I want you to notice the last part here of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In other words, you'll forgive my crass paraphrase, but simply put, done deal. God said it, that settles it. I made a promise to David, I'm going to do it. I'm going to deliver you, I promised you this, I will perform this. I promised you a Savior, and I will do it. When God makes a promise to you, He will do it. He will do it. He can't not. I know that's not proper sentence structure, but He cannot break a promise. Now, beginning in verse 8, and actually on through to chapter 10, verse 4, we're going to turn a corner of sorts with Isaiah's prophecy concerning the coming judgment on particularly, chiefly, the northern kingdom of Israel when this Assyrian army invades. The Lord, verse 8, sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know. Ephraim 
and the inhabitant of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Oh, you will, will you? Oh, but um, that's a smack in the face of Almighty God, because this is what God did. And you're saying, yeah, I know God brought these down. They've fallen down, but we're going to rebuild them. We don't need God. How about this? You ready for it? Wait for it. We're going to build back better. Oh, you are, are you? Uh We're going to rebuild with hewn stone. Yeah, but God's the one who made those bricks fall down. Yeah, but we're going to replace with cedars. Yeah, but God's the one that allowed the sycamores to be cut down. You know, this is the height of arrogance, haughtiness, and pride. And as we're about to see, it won't go unanswered by the Lord. It never will. It never will. Verse 11, it's going to get ugly. Therefore, the Lord shall set up the adversaries of Razine against him, and spur his enemies on. The Syrians, verse 12, before, and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. For all this anger, all this, his anger is not turned away. But, listen very carefully to this, his hand is stretched out still. Wow. Now, this is the first of four parts, all of which conclude with the mercy of God, whose hand is stretched out still. It's almost like this. You have rejected me in your pride, in your arrogance. You have not turned to me, you've turned against me, and for that judgment will come and the adversaries will come against you. But my hand is stretched out still. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. Verse 13, for the people do not turn to him who strikes them. Did you catch that? God's the one that is striking them, judging them, allowing this to happen to them, to come upon them, and they still do not turn to Him. Nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. That's what pride does. Humility repents, but not pride. Verse 14, therefore, the Lord will cut off the head and tail from Israel, palm branch and bulrush in one day. The elder and honorable, verse 15, he is the head. The prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. 
for the leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. Therefore, verse 17, the Lord will have no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. And here we have it again. For all this, his anger is not turned away. In other words, his anger has not been satisfied. It has not been dissipated. It has not been dealt with. It has not been resolved. It has not turned away. He's still angry, in other words. But his hand is stretched out still. I want to draw your attention to something here that I think should make every leader and every teacher, and especially every pastor like myself, stand to attention. This mention of these teachers who lie, false prophets, and they lead the people astray, and then the people are destroyed because of them? Wait, that means that the people's blood is on their hands. Yes, it is. That's Ezekiel 33 concerning the watchman. But it's also James chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. Listen to what James writes. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. And here's why. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. In other words, those who are teachers are going to stand before God and they will be judged by a much higher standard, a much stricter measure. Why? Because they have the propensity to lead people into truth or lead people into error. We're not talking about life and death. We're talking about eternal life and eternal death. We're talking about heaven and hell. And that is the reality and the intensity and the enormity of the calling on those who are teachers of the Word of God. We're going to be judged more strictly. I will have to give an account one day before God. And when I stand before Him, I want the blood of no one on my hands. Like the Apostle Paul would write, and it's recorded in the book of Acts, that he has the blood of no one's, no person on his hands, because he taught the whole counsel of God. He spoke and taught the truth. The watchman in Ezekiel, the one who warns the people, the blood is not on his hands, it's on them. When is the blood on the hands of the watchman? When he sees what's coming and doesn't warn them, then it's on him. Verse 18, 
It gets worse. (laughs) For wickedness burns as the fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns, and kindle in the thickets of the forest. They shall mount up like rising smoke. Through the wrath, verse 19, of the Lord of hosts, the land is burned up, and the people shall be as fuel for the fire. That's interesting. Hang on to that for a second. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry. He shall devour on the left hand and not be satisfied. Every man shall eat the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh shall devour Ephraim, and Ephraim Manasseh, together they shall be against Judah. And then here it is again. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Wow. What graphic detail of the utter horror that always ensues when God removes His hand of blessing. But God has His hand stretched out still. One last thing before we bring the Bible study to an end. Did you notice the way that Isaiah phrased this and worded this? He's saying that you are going to do this to yourselves. Um, You're going to devour each other. And I'm going to allow it to happen because you turned away from me. I, I stretched my hand out. My hand is still stretched out, but you slapped it away. I'm still stretching out my hand because I am long-suffering and kind and loving and merciful. My hand is stretched out still, but you left me with no other alternative in your rejecting me and turning from me, but to remove my hand. I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm just going to lift my hand of protection. I'm going to lift my hand of blessing. I mean, it's still stretched out at the ready, but this is what happens when God just says, okay, you've made your choice. You know, we've referred to it often, and I'll just mention this. I want to end on an encouraging note, certainly, but this is as raw as it is real. Romans 1, where God just basically says, you know, I'm just going to give you over. It's like, okay, hands off. I'm going to give you over to those burning passions, woman for woman, man for man. I mean, you've already, you've slapped my hand away. You've turned away from me. I've stretched my hand out to you. And you said, get away. We want nothing to do with you. And so, okay, I'm not going to force myself on you. So he removes his hand of protection and blessing, and this is what ensues. That's what ensues. It's unthinkable. Uh, Okay, this will be the last, last thing. (laughs) In fact, 
Um, can I have the worship team come up and I'll have you stand up and I'll, I'll just share this one last thought that uh, I've been sort of inquiring of the Lord about recently, thinking a lot about as of late. Think about this with me. How many times do you think in your life, unbeknownst to you, God delivered you and protected you miraculously in this spiritual realm, and you had no idea that He did it? You know what I'm talking about? How many car accidents did, I know mine, the list is really long, how many car accidents God saved me from unbeknownst to me? That's the hand of God's protection. Think about it as an earthly parent, how especially when your kids are young, you will do everything. I mean, you're so protective of them. Uh, Okay, maybe sometimes overprotective, but I don't know anything about that. (laughs) Okay, I'm very overprotective, especially of my daughter. But I mean, we are ferociously protective of them. We will not let any harm come to them. How much more our Heavenly Father, who is able and protects us, because His hand of blessing and protection is on us and over our lives. I wonder when we're in heaven, if there's going to be, you know, maybe the first trillion years we're going to, you know, be taken into our own, you know, theater in our mansion. Is this, am I taking it too far? Just indulge me. And uh, we're going to have an afternoon, we're going to have, you know, heavenly popcorn, no cholesterol, no carbs, no nothing. And the butter's just delicious and oh, fresh and oh, wow. Are we drilling yet? And so we're going to, you know, pop, pop, it's going to be pop for us. (laughs) And we're going to sit down in our uh, mansion theater and we get, get to watch all of those times where God intervened in our lives and miraculously protected us from the unthinkable. And we're just going to be like, whoa, I remember that. Wow, God, you did that? Yeah. You protect, yeah. Now let's flip it around. I don't want to end this way, but just contrast that with when God says, okay, you don't want my protection? You don't want my hand stretched out still? You slap it away? This is how that movie ends. Pretty, uh, pretty sobering, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, thank You so much. Lord, Your Word is alive, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut, divide between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It's a surgical cutting, a needful cutting. And Lord, I pray that Your Word will do its work in our hearts, in our lives, that will take this Word from You to us, home with us, and into the rest of our week and weekend that the Holy Spirit would be given unfettered access to that recess in our hearts that needs heart surgery in this realm of the Spirit. Lord, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Isaiah is an interesting one, as the prophet Isaiah spoke things that God wanted the people of Israel to hear, but they just wouldn't listen. Little did they know that much of what Isaiah spoke had bigger significance than they could have imagined. From beginning to end, the book of Isaiah touches on Jesus Christ coming later on. It refers to the announcement of his coming, his birth, his good news of salvation, his death, and his return to claim his own. Wow, what an incredible insight into the future. Sometimes things are plain right before our eyes, and we just aren't willing to see it for what it is. Although the people were ignorant in that present time, God used Isaiah to speak to them anyway and to proclaim the good news that was to come. Do you know of this good news? If not, we'd like you to check out calvarychapelkaneohe.com and head over to the resources page. There you'll find the ABCs of salvation, which goes into a step-by-step understanding the good news of Jesus. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and to look for more things God wants to teach you in this book of Isaiah. Looking forward to next time here on In Spirit and Truth.